Welcome. You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you could join us. Today, we're here with Dr. Loretta Justin, owner and founder of Millennium Eye in Orlando, Florida, and CEO of You. Today, we're going to be talking with Dr. Justin about how she combines her interest in being an optometrist and in being a business owner. Dr. Justin, thanks for being here. Good morning, Marjolyn. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about this and to be here today. This is one of the things I'm passionate about. How did your interest uh, and passion in the business aspects of running an optometric practice come into being? From the school of hard knocks is what what came to be when... um, I started my practice 12 years ago in 2006. I graduated in 2002, so a little bit four years afterwards. And really the first few years I was having babies. I have three children that are four years apart. So that's what I did the first three years. And when we started the practice, I was excited about caring for patients. I was taught really well how to help my patients see 2020. And if they couldn't see 2020, I needed to figure out why, if they needed to be on some type of treatment or therapy. My goal was to help everybody see 2020. And that's really important for me because my husband is legally blind from best disease. And that was part of the reason why that inspired me rather to go to optometry school. So helping people see was important for me because I know what it's like when someone can't see very well. And that was the reason why I wanted to be in private practice. I wanted to do that. I wanted to give the gift of sight. And I was very excited. What I didn't know that the gift of sight costs money. And I had no clue how to do that. I just wanted to help everybody. So the first few years of my practice was really my education in business, and I had none, none of it. So that probably resulted in some rather costly mistakes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. Um, when I'll, I'll tell you this story. And when I first started, I didn't know much about insurance and how they worked. I did know you had to be in their panel, but I didn't really understand how do you bill for a service, how do you get paid for it, and really how to get on the panel. So I had a patient that came, and we had the patient schedule. Uh, Her dad brought her in. They were very nice. They came in. They had a great experience. We did the exam. Uh, Dad was very happy, and as they came out, They picked out the frame and the lens, and then he started asking, how much is this going to cost? So um, we told them that, well, the exam is this much, and the glasses will cost this much. And then he said, "Uh, well, I have insurance. We're like, oh, okay, because at that time, we didn't verify whether the patient had insurance before we did the exam. And uh, he said, I have insurance. We said, okay, well, then it will depend on what your insurance stipulations are. 
let's look up your insurance benefits. It turned out he had the one insurance that I was not in network with. This was after the exam was done. Um, after we selected frame and lenses, this is checkout. So now we have to decide what to do. I was so embarrassed because I felt terrible. How could I have a patient come in, do all this work without thinking about how am I going to get paid first? And the patient felt embarrassed because they really enjoyed their experience. And now they were in a catch 22. What am I going to do? So he said to me these words, he said, you mean you guys didn't check whether how you were going to get paid before you did this? And that story always stick with me because it was so embarrassing. It was such a learning experience. He ended up paying out of pocket for it because he was so, um, he really wanted to support our business. But it was really, really embarrassing that I hadn't thought about how to get paid for my services. I honestly just assumed that if I was good, a good doctor, I cared for people, that money somehow would just come. And it didn't quite work like that. Yeah, it's uh, much easier to make your mistakes, um, well, not in front of the patient, probably. Yes, <laughs> yes, and and you know, hopefully, a lot of optometrists who are starting all are not making this type of mistakes. But I, I really just didn't know much at all about business and how to get paid. But that was a very uh, painful experience. But it was very educational. I learned so much and it anchored um, that in my mind that I need to understand how to do this. So that's how my education began. Well, and you bring up a, a very interesting point because I think s stories like this, and I realize that this was, um, uh, you know, some years ago and business management education wasn't as um advanced in optometry schools as it as it is today or the opportunities to learn this aren't mm -hmm. um, you know are more now but you're in private practice and obviously you'd like to see other people succeed in in a practice that they own so how do you take a story like that and not scare people <laughs> <laughs> I I share my experiences in the hopes of preventing somebody else from making that mistake. And I, sh I use the story really as a way to let people know that they can avoid that and they do not have to be in that particular situation. So I went through it, hopefully, so you wouldn't have or you won't have to go through it. Having been in private practice for 12 years, I would not change anything. It is the best decision I have ever made. It's allowed me to be home with my children. Um, it's allowed me to build our family a certain way, live my life according to my values. For me, it was the best decision ever. The process was long because there was a lot I didn't know. And what I hope to help some of my colleagues to understand is to not do what I did. Don't try to just start something on your own, but look for people who know or who've done it before. And um, 
ask them to mentor you, ask them to help you, ask for uh, suggestions, you know, look for help and partner with people as much as possible. Because one of the things I learned in this process is that success leaves clues. So if you would follow someone who's done it before, who's been in that path, it makes your journey so much easier and you get where you want to go so much faster. So the goal of the story is to say, you don't have to go there. This does not have to happen to you. You can have a much better experience. Right. And of course, that you can laugh about this 12 years later shows that it didn't break you. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank God. No, it didn't break me, but it did help me grow a lot uh, to help me mature and help me personally as a person to become who I am. So I, in a sense, I am grateful for the experiences because I wouldn't be here talking to you without it. So how did you learn? What strategies did you develop and where did you go for your resources? For my business, Marjolyn, the first thing I learned is that my practice will never go any further than where I am. As the leader, I set the pace, I set the tone, I set the culture. The, the capacity that I can dream is how far my practice can go. So the first thing for me was to go back and work on myself internally and start to determine what do I believe? What are my values? What exactly do I want? So in my CEO of you concept, I talk about the MVP, which is very important. And the concept, the MVP is the fundamental of everything that you should do. It's your mission, your vision, and your purpose, which really comes from you internally. So I had to stop and turn around and look within myself and ask, what did I want? I used to work six days a week and was working 60 hours a week almost because of the time I was in the practice. And I had to ask myself, what do I want? Do I want the practice to determine my schedule or do I want to determine the practice's schedule? So I had to ask myself a lot of questions, figure out where I want to be, how I want my life to be, what do I want to do and how. So I came up with the mission, the vision, and the purpose. And and in my practice, our MVP, our mission, and our purpose really is to mentor, empower, and care. And that rhymed with our name, Millennium Eye Center, the same M-E-C letters. So it was easy to teach it to my team as to this is what we do and that's what we exist for. So everything we do is going to revolve around mentoring, empowering, and caring for our patients. And then I created a set of values that we could live by and the values determined how we serve the patients, how we're going to create the culture for our practice. So that MVP first really helped me center myself. Because if I didn't know what I wanted to do, if I didn't know where I was going, no one could help me. So that was the first step I did is create that. The next step was to create the strategy. How are you going to accomplish this mission? How are you going to mentor, empower, and care for your patients? When they come in, how are they going to receive that service? And then how are you going to be profitable doing that? So 
Uh, in 2009 is when I wrote my first business plan. And I started the practice in 2006. So it took three years <laughs> before I figured out the business plan concept. But that's when I wrote my first business plan. That's when I wrote my first standard operating procedure manual, which was our Bible as to how we were going to do this. And we had our, all of the manuals were created around that time. And our first plan, which was our strategy was created around that time. And then after we got the mission, the vision and purpose in place, the strategy, at least the initial strategy in place, then we needed a team that would be able to implement that strategy. That process took a lot longer because as we were developing the strategy, refining it, um, we started realizing this team member is not good for our strategy. And so we had a lot of turnover for a while, but we eventually settled on a group of people that really met our values. They fit in our culture and they understood what we wanted to do. And that made all the difference. Dr. Justin, you mentioned that you wrote your uh, standard operating procedures manual and policy manuals around 2009. Have they been adjusted since then? Yes, we are on Rev 8 <laughs> at this time. So we've constantly review it. It's a fluid document. It is not written in stone. Things are constantly evolving. Actually, right now, as we're speaking, we have our annual meeting that's going to happen October 26th, and we have a whole day that we take. We go out to a hotel. We take the the conference room, and we sit, and we go over our plans. We go over our goals. We look. We plan for the year coming, and we look over our current year. So right now, each team member is reviewing their section of the standing operating procedure manual. They have it out. And for the next few weeks, they're going to go through it as they do their job task. And they're going to update it and review it. If there's something that um, we've added or we're doing that's somehow not in there, they're going to do that. They have a two weeks time frame to do it. And once they do it all, they email me what they've done, what they've updated, so I can look at it and determine whether I want to accept that change, whether I want to keep it. That has helped us a lot to update our manual so it, it is fresh. And it also is, it gives the team a sense of ownership because they're really updating this document. And since they do that, they follow it. And um, that has helped save me time as well, so I don't have to update the whole 100 page document. That's how long it has become. It's over 100 page right now. But everybody does their part and they enjoy the process. That's a wonderful expression. Dr. Justin, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Marjolyn. I really enjoyed our time together. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again next time on WL Voices. If you'd like to be part of our podcast series, please contact us. You can email us at wovoicesonline at gmail.com or via our website, womeninoptometry.com, on Facebook at WL Magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.